Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is Reg Rat on Reg Watch by RegulatorWatch.com. Okay, some of you may have heard minutes after our last broadcast on Tuesday night, Reg Watch got hit by another Facebook ban. On Tuesday's show, we had Jim McDonald on from Vaping 360. Jim and I went to town on the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for its role in perpetuating, if not creating, the vaping lung illness hysteria. The ban is for seven days and we've been shut out from sharing our content or even commenting on previous posts in the scores of groups that we are a member of. RegWatch can't even post to its own group uh, for RegWatch supporters. I mean, it's brutal. But what's even more brutal is that three weeks ago, as a result of our coverage yet again on CDC deception over the lung illness hysteria, Facebook disabled my personal profile. So Brent Stafford, after 12 years on Facebook, I've been disappeared. And it doesn't look hopeful that they'll be allowing me back anytime soon. It seems that forces at Facebook are none too happy about our hard-hitting coverage on CDC-inspired hysteria over vaping. And that's just what it is, hysteria. Or better put, moral panic. And tonight we're going to talk about one of the strangest, widest reaching, and most damaging episodes of moral panic in America's history. The satanic ritual abuse panic of the 1980s and 1990s. Yes, you heard that correctly. Satanic ritual abuse panic. And this was no small thing. At one point in the 1980s, paranoia over satanic cults became a national epidemic. There's that word, epidemic. Reports of ritual abuse spread like wildfire across the country as advocacy groups, politicians, and the news media warned that nearly 50,000 children were being abducted by strangers and 4,000 of them murdered every year. The panic lasted for nearly a decade into the early 1990s, and it even spread to Canada. It's hard to believe that millions of people could have believed that children were being ritually abused and murdered. But I guess if they can believe that, it's easy to understand how they can believe that vaping is more harmful than smoking. So here's the plan for tonight's show. It's unstructured. I had no intention to talk about satanic ritual abuse hysteria anytime soon. But it's Halloween and it seemed apropos. And there's a CDC connection, at least laterally, that I want to talk about and since I'm a glutton for punishment and I can't pass on the opportunity to keep the pressure on our fine progressive friends in the public health deep state so that's it script gone and we're going to bounce around the web a bit and we're going to look at some of the stuff that's out there on satanic ritual abuse hysteria it's pretty crazy and we'll go through some of the articles and I've got some of my book readings that we're going to do. It's a Halloween night, so I'm going to loose my tie a bit. You guys have some candy. Drink your drinks. Have a vape. Uh, be careful, though, when it comes to the candy because, of course, you could uh, have a razor blade in the apple. There could be poison, you know, in the candy because, of course, Halloween night is one of the focal, focal points of hysteria for hundreds and hundreds of years. The, some of the biggest hysterias are always around Halloween. And the progressives in the media, if you haven't noticed uh, this year, they, they're, they're explaining away, uh, instead of embracing hysterias as they normally do, they're explaining them away. Why? Because they're too busy actually cooking up big, huge hysterias that they need your, you to be focused on. So what they've been doing, if you've been seeing any of the news articles, so in Canada National Post, I've seen, like, seen 
three of them in the post explaining away um, cannabis infu- you know, cannabis tainted candies and this and that. Um, last year too, they did, they did it too. But remember, this vaping hysteria thing has been going on for a while, though it's just reached its uh, its uh, pinnacle. But it, you know, have a think on that. I, I'd like to know actually, and and because we're I'm going to be able to spend time looking at comments because we're 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 easy going here tonight, and I really should take this tie off. Um, but uh, there we go. Ah, oh, that's sad. Um, I'd like to know, actually, in the comments, um, if anybody else has noticed, in terms of reading some of the Halloween coverage pre-Halloween tonight, whether or not you've seen uh, some of the reporters kind of explaining away the hysteria, you know, kind of, oh, making light of it, and, and really saying, don't look here, there's nothing to look at here, uh, no hysteria to look at here. They are too busy cooking up real hysteria for them to spend their time in Halloween this year, uh, writing stories, ginning up some regular old Halloween um, hysterias. Let me just make sure I'm over here. Uh, back in the 1980s, Bill Tarling, good to see you. Um, so we're gonna be doing some readings and I've, I've got some, I've, I've actually taken some shots, so I'm gonna be doing some pullouts that you can kind of read along with me so you're not gonna see my head completely buried uh, all night long in a book, you'll be able to see some of the text. Um, one of the best books out there, That's this is the definitive piece of work that's on the entire uh, scandal. It's called Satan's Silence. And you'll notice I, got, I took uh, the silent scandal from uh, last Tuesday's episode on CDC. Um, I was inspired by this. Actually, I lie, I've been wanting to do this story for a while, and I just had to take advantage of the fact that it's Halloween. So, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, satanic ritual abuse, it's got to be on Halloween. Uh, and as soon as I saw this afternoon, this this lateral CDC connection, I just went, oh, crap. So I had to haul my ass out of my home office. I'll tell you, getting banned from Facebook for the second time in four weeks, it's just, it really just guts you. It's like they chopped off one leg and now they just broke the other. So, Satan Silence, uh, very good book. We're going to be reading from it. Um, what's interesting, though, of course, is that um, they have to talk about, you can't talk about the satanic ritual abuse hysterias without talking about moral panics in, you know, what is moral panics? You know, where do they come from? You know, how do they happen? And key thing is on any moral panic is demonology. And, de- and so demonizing things, which we're so used to talking about on the vaping side, um, from a technical point of view, you have to have that or you can't have a proper moral panic. And Halloween uh, being uh, one of, you know, good, good long time now that th- it's been going on. And it's what's called a sub- subver- subversion scare. So a subversion scare. And uh, so... It's about sub, 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 oh God, why can't I say that? Subversive. Uh, so things undermining, obviously, on a moral panic side. So let's take a look at moral panic. Now, you guys will all get a laugh at this because I certainly uh, don't believe in Wikipedia because Wikipedia, of course, is just rotten. To the core, it's rotten. Once you open your eyes up to any kind of understanding of what's actually happening out there and you start reading Wikipedia, you, you literally have to 
read between the lines, what's missing, you know, oh, it's brutal. But the thing that's really good about Wikipedia is that if you're reading things that are on Wikipedia's side, meaning the left side, the progressive left side, right, they're a good resource to go to. They're an excellent resource to go to. So if you want to understand what moral panic is, they're going to have a pretty good definition of what moral panic is because they invented it. Well, maybe not. Might, might, they might uh, allied here. But this is their moral panic definition. A moral panic is a feeling of fear spread among many people that some evil threatens the well-being of society. A dictionary of sociology defines a moral panic as the process of arousing social concern over an issue, usually the work of moral entrepreneurs and the mass media. So, you know, they got that right, don't they? In recent centuries, the mass media have become important players in the dissemination of moral indignation, even when they do not appear to be consciously engaged in sensationalism or muckraking. Simply reporting the facts can be enough to generate concern, anxiety, or panic. Stanley Cohen states that moral panic happens when a condition, episode, person, or group of persons emerges to become defined as a threat to societal values and interests. So an example of moral panic includes a belief in widespread abduction of children by predatory pedophiles, belief in ritual abuse of women and children by satanic cults, concerns over the effects of music lyrics, the war on drugs, and other public health issues. So if you're a Wikipedia editor, somebody please add right here in this line, uh, vaping. <laughs> because that's, I mean, pretty much needs to go there. It's, it's, now, it's now getting right here at that level. There's no doubt. So that's our, that is moral panic. All right. Okay. So let's see here. Los Angeles Times, May 25th, 1989, San Francisco. At the time, police officer Sandy Gallant recalled maybe even she didn't truly comprehend the dark lure of the occult. The year was 1981. The case was eerie, weird in a grotesque, spooky kind of way. Even for San Francisco, where cops are not easily surprised by sensational crimes. Blackmail, probably a street person, found murdered in Golden Gate Park. The guy's head had been cut off and it was missing. Detectives found some strange clues. There was the headless chicken for one. Part of the bird's body had been stuffed inside the dead man. Some kind of ritual seemed to have taken place. An expert of sorts. Homicide didn't know what to make of it, so investigators called Gallant, who works intelligence. After her involvement in the aftermath of the People's Temple mass murder-suicide in Guyana, she became an expert of sorts in the realm of spiritual wackos. She had begun studying up on cults, brainwashing, the sick powers of persuasion. From there came an exploration of alternative belief systems, witchcraft, Santiago, and Satanism. Gallant had been looking for explanations. Increasingly, it seemed the occult was leaving its marks in crime. So now this. What did Gallant think? Homicide wanted to know. Okay, excuse me. So this is um, a, a wonderful example of the... Um, of the uh, unskeptical and um, romanticizing of the uh, police investigative units that sprung up as a result of uh, the satanic 
ritual abuse scandal. And I'll explain um, exactly how that started, and, and we'll read from it too here as well. One of the key things about that, and as we know since then, is that these panics institutionalize themselves. And so much like how with tobacco control, and the, because remember, our vaping, the vaping hysteria is, is not, is, is a, a child of the smoking hysteria. So the, the tobacco and kids hysteria is the, is, the, is the primary hysteria that has not gone away. It's what has fueled and, and drives this hysteria. So this is a subset. So we're seeing how big this is. Uh, and how fast it's metastasized and how dangerous it is and how it looks like it's likely going to kill the industry. Um, certainly in the U.S. and it's not, I mean, what happens in the U.S. always happens in Canada. We're, I mean, we're seeing it moving fast in Canada and there's not even the deaths because they don't need them in Canada. They don't need to actually have real uh, lung deaths in Canada because you have them in the U.S. You have everything the CDC has said. All the news media in Canada are just repeating CDC. Um, the politicians are just repeating CDC. It all stems from the CDC. If they had had if they had had a modicum of uh, I'm going to be careful. If the CDC had decided uh, to uh, be more responsible in the way in which that they managed uh, and framed and communicated uh, the lung illnesses, then things would just be um, a complete different world. But CDC knows exactly what it was doing when it was communicating and how it was communicating and, con and continues to do that. So, um, so, it, 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 so we need to understand that, that, that there is this larger moral panic that may have seemed to have died out um, but it really hadn't. And it, so this is just, you know, feeding into the larger one, which is the tobacco. And, and the big tobacco companies are the demons. And because, you know, obviously Joel's big tobacco and, and vaping, open systems has always been called uh, tobacco. And open systems uh, has been accused of marketing in the same way and all the same stuff. So it, it's just all the same blood libel uh, that, you know, is going on. It's all part of this moral indignation uh, process. All right, so let's keep going here. So let's jump into some of the details. All of this stuff started, it began in 1983, and it all centered around daycares. And so it, in more polite uh, conversations, this is known as the daycare abuse scandal because um, it was daycares where it started, um, it was uh, sexual abuse uh, is part of the claim, but, it, but the real claim was satanic ritual abuse at the daycares. And, um, and, then, and, and then, yeah, so it's just hard to get your head around this, right? Because um, when, if you were around in the 80s, uh, it, it, it grew into missing children on millions of milk cartons. This was a decades-long hysteria. It touched every single person 
that was alive in North America from parents who were afraid to all of the, the to the police forces, uh, obviously the media, uh, government agencies. I mean, I remember going in into the grocery store and there'd be missing children on on the milk cartons. So I was born in 1970. So 1980, I was 10. So this thing hit, I was 13 when this first hit. So, I mean, full on when this was, and then I started working in television news in 1988, right out of high school. So there was five years, or five to six years left of, of full hysteria operating in the news media while I was in professional news. So, I mean, for a huge long time, um, this was stuff that was still getting covered. So. I mean, it, and it was shocking for me because it was only a couple of years ago, I was watching a Jordan Peterson lecture and he, was, he brought up this abuse scare in relation, in, in, related to fascism and, um, and connections to morals, moral panics created in Germany during uh, the National Socialism days. And the demonization and dehumanizing that uh, was going on uh, in in the process, because there there the there was a real witch hunt that went on here. Hundreds and hundreds of people got swept up in this, lost their job. They got accused of uh, being satanic devil worshippers. They got accused of being satanic. Uh, child abusers, uh, they got tried, and they got convicted, and they went to jail. And it was all a hoax. And, and not a hoax by like one person. It was, it was just, it was a hysteria. Uh, and it was fake. And so, yeah. So this story, I, I'd forgot about it. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, it would pop back on my radar, and I was shocked at just how much I had just removed that from my brain. It's still even hard for me to even believe it right now. And I, when you read the stories and stuff, you're just like, yeah, of course, it's like 10 years, a whole decade. So what's amazing is, is that um, the, the people, the young children, that were um, involved in this um, are born about 10 years after me. So that means that um, right now, um, everybody who is 38 to 42, right? All working in government, stuff like that. They all grew up, they were the, the cohort of people that were being satanically abused. There's no way that any of those people do not have repressed memory of the hysteria, because there's no doubt uh, parents, I mean, there's no doubt that, I mean, it was, it was, it was 10 years. So, so think about that, right? So the people that are 10, 15 years older than me so they're the ones that were really captured by it because it's, it was their kids that they thought were being uh, abused. And so they were fully captured by it. And then these kids are now running government. 
They're in public health. They're in academia. They're in the media. So this is for real. There's lasting damage that's been done by something like this. Okay, so let's see here. My links got all screwed up. And there it is. All right. Satanic panic and the media. All right, let me just make sure here I don't... I need to get... I can't... Hold on. It's going to go to the wide shot here so I don't give you guys a loop. just want to make sure that I've got... Uh, a quick look here at you guys. Uh, all right, so. All right, somebody talking about how Jewel broke the law. Yeah. I don't think there's just any reason to, you know, harp on anybody right now at this point, Jewel or not. That's not going to do it. I think everybody needs to focus on the fact of who's the enemy here because this is, and we'll get to it a little bit later tonight, but you've got to start thinking about this as a liberty issue. I know for so many of you that are center or on the left and that's all okay. You know, I may be, you know, I may be derisive when I speak of, you know, progressive left, but that's only because it's the progressive left that's doing this. There are right wing progressives and they play their role, and we're seeing that too as well, but they don't run public health. That's a, a, a progressive left thing. And they don't run academia. That's the left thing. So, I mean, you've gotta, you've gotta look to yourself. I mean, until you can figure out how to fix your own team on this issue, the rest of us that are gonna talk liberty and all these other kinds of things, in the end, we can't do anything about it because it, it's not our side. All right. So don't make me go back mommy. Satanic panic in the media. So uh, Michelle Roxanne Bredson here, she has done, this is a post from 2015. This is part three. I'm not going to go start at part one or anything like that. She's done a fantastic job of uh, putting this all together. And so this is great. The notion of sa uh, satanic panic wouldn't have materialized without the media. From an accusatory expose on Satan's underground by Geraldo Rivera, to a children's picture book which portrays situations of satanic ritual abuse, the media went wild reporting on Satanism, sensationalizing every aspect of it that they could at any given opportunity. And that's really what had happened here. So this is a 1990 children's book, uh, Don't Make Me Go, Mummy, all about uh, dealing to reading with your kids about satanic ritual, satanic abuse. It's quite crazy. I've got the book. I've got the book. And I'll show you guys some things out of it. So Geraldo, I mean, it was very interesting. And so some stuff here has obviously been taken off. So Geraldo Rivera did a huge uh, piece on it uh, called Satanic Panic and then Exposing Satan's Underground, which aired in 1988. I remember that. 
So, I mean, full on, and for those of you who don't know, Geraldo's still alive. He's, you know, on Fox News, which is what's crazy. He's on the le he's left, but he's on Fox. So he's one of, uh, he's one of uh, Fox's uh, token left guys. Uh, but Geraldo's a pretty decent dude. But in the end, though, I mean, he's done some crazy reporting. And he was all in the bag uh, on this. Um, oh, that's right, Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, my God. So, all right, so what's our best entry, uh, entry point in here? I think it's probably uh, a good little part of this right up here. So in August 1983, an anguished mother reported to the police that her two-year-old daughter, two-year-old son had been horrifically abused in the McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California. She described a network of underground tunnels where school staff had sodomized her child and forced him to watch animal sacrifices. The mother was mentally disturbed and her story had no basis in reality. But the news media seized on the story and paranoia about satanic cults became a national epidemic. Parents were already on edge. Advocacy groups, politicians and the media had warned that nearly 50,000 children were being abducted by strangers and 4,000 of them murdered every year. As news of the McMartin barbarity spread, daycare personnel in schools across the nation found themselves implicated in the crime of satanic ritual child abuse. A national network of abuse therapists promptly materialized through the use of intimidating interviewing techniques. They egged on children to remember terrible abuses in their daycare. The abuse therapists were joined by an influential group of conspiracy-minded feminists, including Gloria Steinman and Catherine McKinnon, when a few civil libertarian feminists, Carol Travis, Wendy Kamier, yes, Ellen Willis, and Debbie Nathan, tried to blow the whistle on the witch hunt, they were vilified by the conspiracy caucus as backlashers, child abuse apologists, and obedient daddies girls of male editors. This, I should say, this is uh, Christina Hoff Sumners who's writing this. She's a um, resident scholar at American Enterprise Institute, a time contributor. She, is, um, she hosts The Factual Feminist. She's also the author of Who Stole Feminism and The War on Boys. She's a PhD. She's one of the original, you know, fighting feminists. Um, so huge scholar, uh, too, as well. And uh, it's like her and Camille Paglia are... Uh, you know, joined at the hip in the fight to beat back um, political correctness and gender feminine, like the, the poisonous aspects of feminism. They've been doing that since the 1990s. And so uh, no doubt, we'll get to a connection here in a second, but from the start, from the start of the scare in 1983 until its ending in the mid 1990s, untold numbers of children were subject to manipulative therapies, and hundreds of innocent adults faced charges of ritual child abuse. Several of the accused would spend years in prison for crimes that never happened. A recent Slate article, article called it one of the most damaging moral panics in America's history, which only began to abate when skeptical journalists got around to checking facts and asking questions. 1985 story in the Los Angeles Times informed readers that according to FBI reports, the number of child kidnappings by strangers in 1984 was 67, not 50,000. 67, not 50,000. And that was in 1984 that the Los Angeles Times published that. 
So the Los Angeles, and this started in 1983. So already one year in, the LA Times is going, wait a minute, whoa. So within one year, already the, the rumors, the stories in, in mainstream media, it was like 50,000 kids a year were being abducted and ritually abused. 50,000, right? And, um, but already, just a little simple fact-checking, and the Los Angeles Times in 1984 says, uh, wait a minute, it was only 67. Uh, in 1985, they checked on 1984. There's only 67. Meanwhile, just blinders. And we see that all the time on, on the vaping issue, right? Complete blinders, I think, a THC thing. San Francisco Chronicle comes out on August 21st and says, hey, we have 21 cases of lung illness, you know, mysterious lung illness. All can be connected to THC, black market THCs at a pop-up market, right? Crickets, nothing, right? September 6th, Leafly is coming out with full on, they're breaking it down on, on the vitamin E scenario and the, and the, and the cutting agents. And, Mike Siegel's out there banging away at that, that early. And nothing, crickets with CDC, nothing, right? Nothing with the mainstream media. So what we're seeing happening here is exactly what happened back then. And even, and even not arguably bigger stakes to the extent that um, murder and satanic ritual abuse, I mean, to have that sell, right? So for the Los Angeles Times to fact check it and go, this is bullshit. And then for that to not crack through, I'd be curious to know, I would imagine the Los Angeles Times, different reporters on other days and different editors would probably have been running stories that would have been reaffirming the 50,000 because of course, you know, that was 1985. This thing did not die until like 93, 94. I mean, unbelievable crazy so okay so all right so i don't want to i don't want to well yeah that's right because you know what this isn't about spending tons of time talking here today um so you know what's interesting here yeah you know what hold on we are going to do that before we just a hundred percent uh make that interesting cdc connection Again, like I, I've got some stuff organized, everybody, but but um, and I'm going to throw these links up too as well. So okay, so let me just make sure I've got I've got a bunch of stuff captured, but I just don't have uh, exactly where I want to go. So let's just take you with me here. So you're seeing my internal. Now you know why I have a hard time when I'm looking for something really quick because my note system is pretty crazy. So that's like my margin notes uh, and a highlighter. It's pretty, it's pretty brutal. Um, I just want to pick up uh, the right place to, to go here. Okay. All right. So here we go. Okay. All right, so it's 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 kind of crazy um, because feminists were particularly susceptible to sex abuse conspiracy theories, 
Indeed, the allegiances women's activists struck with conservatives around these claims often turned bizarre, as when Gloria Steinem contributed money and public support to a ritual abuse proponents group whose coordinator later claimed that it was the U.S. government and not an ultra-right militia movement devotee who bombed Oklahoma City's federal building in 1995. This book, so meaning Satan Silence, examines how such alliances coalesced and how belief in ritual abuse subjected hundreds of people to state-mandated persecutions that in many ways compare with the Salem witch trials. It attempts to explain how a public library could offer little children a picture book about torture in daycare centers, how the airwaves could reverberate with the voice of former anti-war activist Joan Baez now intimating that immigrants are satanic, how dozens of blameless people are still languishing in prison on such charges, and above all, how this irrationality could endure could endure for more than a decade and provoke only a murmur of protest. In a culture as heterogeneous as ours, so extensive a moral panic can be achieved only by concerted efforts at institutionalizing it. Indeed, this is the way indeed this is the way belief in ritual abuse abuse spread via an via an impassioned nationwide crusade conducted by social workers, therapists, physicians, victimology researchers, police, criminal prosecutors, fundamentalist Christians, ambitious politicians, anti-pornography activists, feminists, and the media. It was a powerful effort that did not come together overnight, but as it took shape, a veritable industry developed around the effort to demonstrate the existence of ritual abuse. In the absence of conventional evidence, the proof became words obtained via suggestion and coercion, and the most ambiguous of behaviors from both youngsters and the accused. Verbal disclosures about events that never happened were obtained from children using interviewing techniques that cognitive psychologists have subsequently discredited as dangerously coercive and suggestive. Additionally, prosecutors introduced new forms of therapeutically induced evidence, quote-unquote, such as preschool-aged children's play with toys and with dolls that have genitals, their vague scribbles and drawings, and parents' retrospective accounts of their children's nightmares and masturbation to show that the youngsters had been traumatized by abuse. In the name of saving children, meanwhile, prosecutors exploited popular anxieties about sex to perform character assassinations on defendants. Testimony was given and innuendo spread about the promiscuity of the accused, about their purchases of Playboy magazine, their homosexuality, even their fondness for 1960s countercultural music. Bolstering these appeals to the public's worst prejudices, prosecutors such as Miami's Janet Reno, Janet Reno, who Bill Clinton, when he got elected in 1993, appointed attorney general. Janet Reno, who oversaw one of the largest government shifts to dedication towards children, that today, when we ask, where did this, you know, think of the children thing came from? 1990s. Janet Reno, Bill and Hillary. So, 
Bolstering these appeals to the public's worst prejudices, prosecutors such as Miami's Janet Reno, a self-styled woman's advocate who would later become head of the Justice Department under the Clinton administration, encouraged the use of sophisticated psychotherapeutic methods such as hypnosis and guided imagery, exercises to obtain confessions from defendants. In other cases, the venerable tradition of the jailhouse snitch was revived as informants were trotted out to offer perjured testimony about defendants' confessions in their cells. Although these efforts convinced many jurors that children in ritual abuse cases had been violated, there were still skeptics in the courts, the media, and the public who were suspicious of the evidence and who demanded harder proof. Often they were convinced by novel medical evidence produced with recently developed examination techniques that appeared reliable. Actually, they were technologically updated versions of the medieval preoccupation with scrutinizing female genitalia for sins of sin, for signs of sin and witchcraft, and of 19th century forensic medical campaigns to detect promiscuity and homosexuality by examining the shapes of lips. and penises. The fact that modern physicians diagnoses the fact that modern physicians diagnoses in ritual abuse cases were invalid was not revealed until the late 1980s. In the meantime, the word of these doctors sent many defendants to prison. So we really got the whole group of bad actors uh, from our our world. It's going to take a little sip here, guys. While the new medical findings bore at least a superficial resemblance to evidence traditionally allowed in criminal trials, there was little or no precedent for admitting videotaped interviews, closed-circuit television testimony, hearsay accounts of abuse by adults speaking for children in court, or expert testimony about children's play with dolls their drawings, and sexual abuse behavioral syndromes. <clears throat> Attempting to overcome this problem, child protection advocates borrowed from earlier feminist efforts to reform rape laws as they successfully introduced the new sex abuse evidence into courts. Their triumph, however, was highly problematic, not because, not just for defendants, but also for the integrity of the justice system and for the children in sex abuse cases. Claims about the validity of the new evidence were based on political and prosecutorial passions rather than empirical research, and they undermined judicial efforts to arrive at justice through fact-finding rather than emotion and influence. The new evidence also communicated romantic assumptions about children's inherent innocence that echoed traditional ideas about good women and counterposed them to images of evil-doing females like the accused and daycare abuse scandals and cases. So a couple of key things, you know, as over the course of some shows, I've been introducing you a bit to some of the theoretical stuff, like, you know, where does the got to save the children, this, this maniacal thing, you know, obviously it's like they're going to, they have been throwing adult uh, vapors and adult smokers under the bus. That's been our colloquial term. You know, if things go as planned uh, for those in the public health deep state, if things go as planned, 14,000 vape shops will close 
soon, in weeks, in the United States. 150,000 people out of work, the entire industry devastated. That's what they're looking for. Anybody who thinks that's not the plan. I mean, that's the plan with, P, with the, uh, the PMTA. That was going to happen anyhow. What this moral panic and hysteria is doing is it's providing the political cover to allow the PMTA to happen. If they didn't have this massive reorientation of vaping from the narrative of it being something that saves lives to something that kills, kills, moves it from one column all the way over to the same risk profile as tobacco. It's not just that they need it over with tobacco's risk profile in order to tax it and control it and do all the things that, you know, needs to be done to have it over there or into that risk profile. They needed this hysteria. They need it because with it, everybody gets so beaten up and all these communities, because we're seeing this right now. I mean, every school board uh, is jumping. School boards in British Columbia right now are, are passing motions and stuff to ban flavors and everything else. I mean, we're seeing, the, and I know that's happening in the U.S., of course. And so at every level of the social organism, is activating right now uh, and creating its, uh, you know, it, you know, it, it's pointing at vaping as, as a, you know, as evil and passing all the things that they need to do to do that. And what happens there is that in each local community, when those vaping shops shut down, the, and some are already, obviously, many states, lots of vaping shops are shut down. The people that run those shops can't really turn to their local community and uh, ask for support to fight the federal government in what is a dramatic and huge massive overreach. Why can't you do that? Because you sold vaping products. They kill people, right? What's really happening, all of this is for the PMTA. There's no doubt. So when people say, well, this was already gonna happen anyhow, no, 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 you're missing the point. PMTA is happening right now. This whole hysteria is to lay the groundwork to allow this complete shutdown of this industry to happen. Because in the United States of America, you couldn't even imagine it really. It's, is this really going to happen in May? They're just going to flick a switch? Or are the cops going to come and you know, take our vaping stuff away? Right? Well, now you don't. Now, of course, it's killing people. Right? So it's a critical aspect. So as I was saying, um, the, the innocence of the child is a, you know, it is a part of the progressive religion. It's a belief system. It's, you know, children are the essence of being born good. And so, you know, faulty social institutions and, and ignorance is what make them go bad. And so they do everything they can to make sure that the environment and world that's created for the child is one in which it doesn't, you know, spoil that innocence. It's a Jean-Jacques Rousseau thing. Uh, drove the front, you know, part of the French Revolution uh, and that whole thing has been around with us now 250 years. And, and so that's what's being discussed here 
Um, and it's what's been going on on the vaping side. And here it's manifesting itself in the 1980s as a satanic ritual abuse scare at national level for a decade. All right, so let's get back to that. Um, so let me just reread that line again. Claims about the validity of the new evidence were based on political and prosecutorial passions rather than empirical research, and they undermined judicial efforts to arrive at justice through fact-finding rather than emotion and influence. The new evidence also communicated romantic assumptions about children's inherent innocence, and that echoed traditional ideas about good women and then counter and then counterpose them to images of evil doing females like the accused in daycare abuse cases meanwhile feminists who espouse the existence of satanic sex conspiracies characterized their belief as a political attempt to give children a civic voice analogous to the effort to gain one for women the irony of this rhetoric is that the youngsters in ritual abuse cases were indeed silenced by prosecutors rather than perpetrators. Videotaped interviews during, made during the early cases show that when children were allowed to speak freely, either they had nothing to say about abuse or they denied that it ever happened to them. Once it became obvious that these records would prevent guilty verdicts, prosecutors began advising investigators not to keep tapes or detailed notes of their work. This silencing of youngsters was reinforced by the practice of hiding exculpatory evidence from defense lawyers and sealing records from the press in the name of protecting the child victims. Given the fact that belief in ritual abuse became so quickly and monolithically institutionalized, it is not surprising that the first skeptics were friends and family of the accused who were easily dismissed as disreputable and sometimes themselves were charged with being child molesters. By the mid-1990s, let's get, get, bring this down here. By the mid-1990s, a few child protection professionals Journalists and prosecutors also began entertaining doubts, but when they aired them, many were censored by their colleagues and discouraged from publicizing their concerns. Doubt gradually coalesced, however, and just as belief in the validity of the cases had a moral conservative tenor, and when there's, the, you need, I got to make sure that I do this, so you understand. There is a conservative streak in progressivism, it's the progressive right side of it. Um, it's not traditional kind of conservative. Progressives started out as Christians, social gospeler, gospel. So the entire temperance movement and prohibition, we, we have wired in our brain that they are these crazy right-wing Christians. Well, they were, but they are on the collectivist right. They're not on uh, liberty, classical liberalism right. That's, that's actually right doesn't really exist there. Right doesn't sit on the same line. So you don't go from, you, this is the line, communism, socialism, progressivism, fascism. I dare anyone to tell me where conservatism goes in one there. You just, you can't. You, you don't, where does it go? So you're, because that makes sense. Communism, socialism, progressive, fascist. It, does, it doesn't go progressive, conservative, than fascist. That's not, that's the way they sell it to you. But that's not the case. They sell that to you because they have to let you, make you think that it, the real war that's gone on is actually within the progressives. 
the left and right of the progressives broke, and the left hates the right, and the right hates the left. All right, so all right, so there's something I definitely want to get here. I'm, I'm going to keep going for a little bit more uh, on on this because these are the key couple of pages. Um, by the late 1980s, opponents of state involvement in family life were using ritual abuse accusations as a warning about the dangers of child protection and therapy and issuing across-the-board condemnations of feminism and feminists as predatory wreckers of happy homes. Ritual abuse proponents responded by dismissing every criticism as anti-feminist and anti-child backlash all the while ignoring their own complicity in discrediting child protection and the women's movement. Believers also mounted their own backlash by developing ever more reticulated arguments to make the incredible sound reasonable. Their latest efforts involves resurrecting disassociation theory, a body of psycho psychological thought dating from 19th century theories of female hysteria, positing that victims of sexual abuse shield themselves psychologically by banishing their trauma memories from consciousness, their traumatic memories from consciousness. With disassociation theory, ritual abuse proponents explain children's silence as the result of amnesia, and this, they claim, further proves that the youngsters were horribly abused. So the diagnosis used to advance this rationalization is post-traumatic stress disorder, so PTSD, a relatively new psychiatric label. This book was written in 1994. So definitely PTSD was new. So this is 1994. And so it's just, I mean, that's how long this, this ritual abuse stuff has been going on, that um, there's 10 years of it happening and uh, more than long enough for these reporters. One's, uh, the authors, one's a woman and one's a male. Both were reporters, been you know, covering the story, the early reporters that were telling the truth about the whole thing. So they're deeply in it. And you don't know which one's talking. That's really good writing. They, in the intro, you hear a little bit from the dude, and then you hear a little bit from the gal. And then the voice during the whole writing is, is, is sans gender for, from the author. So um, yeah, so highly recommend this book. Um, All right, so with its implicit condemnation of violence, particularly male violence, PTSD has become an attractive illness for feminists and child protection advocates and claims that ritually abused children suffer from the malady have provided fresh, fresh ammunition with which to justify their obsession with the devil. <laughs> what follows is a history of that obsession and an analysis of what has been said and not said to promote it. Our aim is to explore what the children in ritual abuse cases are, were actually communicating before their utterances, behaviors, and bodies were reinterpreted through the language of cultural panic. We restore the voices of defendants before they were tr transmuted by false confessions and guilty verdicts. By examining the ways in which many child protect protection leaders and organizations profited by building and justifying ritual abuse cases, we reveal the real message behind their current warnings that skepticism will hurt women and children. 
There are many silences to be broken here. Perhaps the biggest one emanates from the thoughtful women's advocates and child protectionists who doubt the logic of ritual abuse claims, but hesitate to speak out because they lack an analysis with which to articulate their skepticism. In offering them words, we hope to open avenues for rational discussion about a terrible episode in our country's history. Such dis discussion is sorely needed because during a time when it has become fashionable to speak of evil, if there is anything that can be called satanic about ritual abuse, it is the cacophony of media and scholarly purience that has silenced thoughtful exploration of its roots and meanings. So they're, they're saying the worst, the most evil of the whole thing is the media and the scholars in their perpetuation of this. By challenging that silence, we give our voice to our culture's deepest fears and yearnings. By listening, perhaps we can find real ways to protect our children and empower others. And I'm just really hoping the very next page now, okay, one sec, there's a note here. I'm gonna have, to, all right, so that's good. So that was the intro. So I'm gonna jump here, I've just got a margin note. There it is, okay, awesome. All right, so let's read this uh, best of intentions. We're, we're almost there. Spring 1984, McMartin Preschool in the US. So the news that one news report said 1983, I guess it's 84. Excuse me, everyone, vape. All right. Do I even still have viewers? That's a good question. Let's see here. All right, guys. No, you are great. I don't, I'm hoping that's for me. Uh, okay, guys, I'm going to actually chat with you here a little bit. I don't normally do this. Ah, crap. See, that's why I don't do it. All right. What did I just start? Hold on. Oh, there it is. So that's why I don't move my keyboards and uh, switcher around because I end up pushing buttons. Uh, okay, so green-eyed lady. Okay, Brent, I'm here and we're vaping. Awesome. Um, didn't see you and what did that mean? Made no sense, wasn't talking to you, never saw you. <laughs> nice. All right, so I would imagine on Halloween that we're not going to have a ton of people watching, but oh, good, we can see some people here. Great. Um, hopefully, we'll get some um, viewers of this rant uh, after. All right, so let's finish up on uh, this reading. Uh, When Americans turned on their radios and televisions in the spring of 1984 and first heard how Satanist, sat, Satanist, Satanist, Jesus, and first heard how Satanist teachers at the McMartin Preschool in Los Angeles had slaughtered pet rabbits in front of children 
it seemed that a horrible new pathology of perversion and cruelty had suddenly struck from nowhere. The idea that elderly and middle-aged women could spend 20 years secretly raping and torturing hundreds of preschoolers in their charge was at once utterly absurd and, strangely, not surprising. In the national mind, wide-eyed disbelief coexisted with a cynical, if fear-struck, matter-of-factness as ritual abuse cases spread across the country. But like any grand social panic, the ritual child abuse scare of the 1980s and the 1990s did not spring from full-blown full from one incident. It root, its roots go back a decade when feminists made sexual abuse a public issue and when the victims were understood to be mainly daughters violated by incestuous fathers. Incest, many child protection advocates believe then, could, could be ameliorated only by promoting gender parity in the workplace and family. Equality would enable women, sorry, equality would enable girls to resist male relatives' sexual demands and would give mothers the economic wherewithal to protect daughters by taking the children and leaving home. These feminist visions were obscured, however, by an intransigent society-wide insistence that the problem lay merely in the minds of a few troubled men. Accordingly, the cure for sex abuse was psychotherapy coupled with family counseling. And if treatment was, was all that was necessary, sex abuse was not so much a crime as an illness. Hence, rather than calling for careful impartial investigation by the police, accusations demanded intervention by psychotherapists prepared to take the side of the aggrieved daughter and to heal the perpetrator, even if he insisted the charges were false. So this is what used to happen uh, in the past, right? Is the, the, it, this all starts with you know, incest in the home and concerns, valid concerns, too, uh, about that. But there was some question in terms of of how those, how much of that was a problem overall in the grand scheme. The idea of sex abuse as illness inspired social workers, psychologists, and others who in the 1970s were flocking to the newly emerging child protection profession. So listen carefully, folks. This is it. This, this maniacal uh, thing about the children. I mean, it's got its roots in, in the past, but, you know, in the 19th century, in the Victorian age, um, you know, kids, I mean, it was a rough life if you're a kid, right? You weren't coddled. It wasn't snowflake world. Same in the 20s and the 30s of the 20th century. There's no coddling of the kids. Concept of, of adolescence lasting into the mid-20s, that, come on. No way. You were sent off. You're fighting wars and stuff when you were 18. You're 17 fighting wars. Come on. You know, there had to be something in the recent past, changes in the way government uh, and uh, people who believe government can fix things uh, got involved. And so listen carefully on this because this really is it, right? So they were flocking to the newly emerging, in the 1970s, emerging child protection profession. Within a decade, their new theory 
that the accusing children are always to be believed. Let me read that again. Within a decade, their new theory that the accusing children are always to be believed and that adults who demure are always lying had become the typical U.S. law enforcement response of sex abuse. So in the last several years, uh, we've seen uh, around 2013, 2014 for sure, you know, and got crazier, was obviously believe all women. But the, the, the believe all women mantra didn't really explode into the full mainstream thing until um, hashtag me too, right? Or as Chris Plant would say, pound me too. For those of us that are old enough, that's not a hashtag. That's actually called a pound sign. So the big irony on, on hashtag me too is it's actually pound me too. But anyhow, I leave that for another day. I'm hoping that's your little Halloween guffaw. Um, but yes, so already uh, we saw the hysteria over uh, campus rape. And the Obama administration had come out and said, like, one in four, I believe, one in five, one in four uh, college students, female college students, were raped, get raped. I mean, you can remember that. That was, that's a hysteria. That's a hysteria. It led to people all across the nation getting falsely accused of raping college students, their, you know, their, their fellow students, and getting completely railroaded. And all of that got rolled back. Everything from Duke lacrosse players. You saw Rolling Stones totally got nailed on that thing. I mean, it, I mean, I, why even bother going into that? There was a massive hysteria going on for a good part of a decade that we, you know, it, it, they all got, they all got washed away. It was definitely the, the end was the Rolling Stones getting caught on that huge art. I mean, there was, it was false. It was just false. And so, and so, and then hashtag me too, pound me too happened. And then through that, then you had Kavanaugh uh, and the whole believe women. That's it. Just believe them. And anybody who doesn't, you're, you're, you are, I mean, unbelievable. There's no, there's no due process. You just believe all women. Well, what's funny is that, is that believe all women, it didn't start there. It started with believe all children in the 1970s. Believe all all children. Oh, okay. So, wow. All right. Now the picture's starting to really think of the children, you know. I mean, if you just must believe all children, no matter what, right? And, and, and definitely with the most heinous accusations about another member of the family, right? Like sexual abuse, pedophilia, incest. You must believe all children. So if you're those kind of people, well, and, and you're existing inside the Truth Initiative, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, FDA, CDC, I mean, I think you got it right there, folks. I mean, I mean, no wonder. All right. I mean, that's brutal. 
Within a decade, their new theory that the accusing children are always to be believed and that adults who demur are always lying. It had become the typical U.S. law enforcement response to reports of sex abuse. So um, this book had, had come uh, into my collection uh, September. Uh, when? September, I can tell you exactly. I bought it September 10th, 2019. So September 10th, I bought it. So it would have come a couple, you know, week later or something like that. So the, the scare had already happened. So it's one of the reasons why I got it, um, was to help kind of uh, deconstruct what's going on here with the vaping hysteria. Because, you know, and then the larger hysteria, which is the tobacco hysteria and everything else, right? You know, if, if, if all the kids have to believe all the time at for the most heinous of crimes that they accuse family members of uh, in this and that, then you can clearly understand why they have not put a single ounce of responsibility onto the kids that are using the Juul devices or any of the other vaping devices. But let's just, you know keep it out what it is, Juul. So over and over and over again, where is the responsibility? Why is this missing from the story? The media has not covered not one word, not one word uh, from any single media outlet in, in the millions of words written and hundreds of thousands of minutes of airtime dedicated in the last three months on this issue, I, I, I maybe one time they might have said responsible. I mean, come on. We all know that. Why would they not put that on the kids? Why would they not? Why is a 16-year-old who's got five jewels right here sucking it up like that, you know, uh, in YouTube, uh, <laughs> How come that kid's not being admonished for his behavior? Well, of course. Kid's not doing anything wrong, man. It's, it's Jewel. It's the tobacco companies. It's the adults that sold it to him. It's the vape shop down the street. Those are the people who did it. It's not the kid's responsibility. There's just absolutely no way. How could that be? They're innocent. You must believe them always. So... I've been having this really horribly bad in the gut reaction from the very first hospital picture of a lung uh, victim, whatever you want to call these. And I don't believe that half of these pictures are true. Every single one of these pictures feels to me like uh, public health deep state porn. Right, you know the the people that are being talked about here, the the people that perpetuated the satanic ritual abuse scare, the same people or type, the same people, right, that are perpetuating the hysteria over vaping, and that are committed to making people think that vaping is more harmful than smoking, that just defies. Credibility. I mean, it's just, it's in, right? These people are the same people. Some of them are still alive. They're the same people. Of course, they're still alive. This is an ancient history here. I mean, if I was, well, I was, in, I was in television news and this was still going on. So the people that are in, that there are people for sure that 
are in public health and tobacco control that played a part in this hysteria. For sure, 59 years old, 62, 63 right now. Come on, for sure. They're in academia. The same people that played a part in making the entire nation believe that there was satanic ritual abuse going on are inside tobacco control today, without a doubt. And the kids that got their heads screwed up over this whole thing, they're in their late 30s, their early 40s. And they too are in public health and in tobacco control. And FDA, the entire administrative state. Oh, I'm going to get kicked off of YouTube for this one. Now's a good time for me to say, please, guys, it's critically important. Go to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. I mean, I'm going all out here for everybody here. I'm putting it right on the line. So good luck. I'm going to be able to chase down any other stories uh, outside of aping in the near future. I'm all in. I'm all in. We've got a real problem infested into our government at every level, school boards, local city councils, provincial, state governments, federal, the entire administrative state is, um, oh, it's the enemy of the people. Clearly, it's clear to me. Is it clear to you? All right, so on that note, um, yeah, I think we're doing pretty good here on, uh, I, think we've, I think we've about jumped the shark, I think, on uh, this. Let's just see here if I had any other links uh, that were to go to. Yeah, so here's something on the Believe the Children. I knew there was one more thing here. So uh, as the book has been explaining, there, there was this huge, massive infrastructure that was built, just like that the tobacco control uh, has its industry and infrastructure. See, you know, keep in mind, I'm an, I'm, I am going to harp on this because it's pretty important. So there was this huge, massive, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar infrastructure uh, that uh, sprang up out of nowhere. Uh, that was around the child protection ritual abuse uh, that, you know, was in full flight with full government funding, federal funding. There was legislation passed. The whole bit, right, um, what was happening was is that uh, police uh, stations, uh, pl you know, uh, police departments and stuff in California, uh, they saw they, would, they could get extra revenue to start up, you know, special units that would investigate these satanic rituals. I mean, I'm serious, man. Like, it happened in Canada, too, right? And so, literally, you had everybody feeding from this trough. And so, you know, a huge infrastructure built up around it. Well, when that infrastructure started to wither because the, the reality and facts after a decade finally was clicking in, like, going, really? You know, where are all the bodies for the sexual, you know, Satan abuse? It's just, 
it just went away because they're corrupted progressive uh, illiberals that then moved to their next thing. And what did they do? What did all those people do? Well, they went after big tobacco is what they did. That's exactly what they did. Exactly what they did. Clinton was in office. Hillary was there. Her whole thing was it takes a village. Her whole thing was all about the kids. They got Reno in, who was the prosecutor prosecuting on, on the satanic uh, sex abuse cases in Miami. They made her attorney general. She, this is the, this is the exact 1995, six, seven master settlement agreement, 98. So remember all the states had to get ginned up, all the attorney generals had to get going, you know, everything. I mean, where did, where did they, where did all these people go? It's not like there's this whole group of new people who believe that kids are some innocent thing that you, you have to protect them at all costs from evil demons, Satan worshipers. It's not like there was some whole other group of them. They went after big tobacco. They cut their teeth, sp spinning up the entire nation in a thinking sex, ritual sex abuse, Satan, devil worshiper sex abuse. Built an entire infrastructure and then when the lies started unspinning, 1992, 1993, by 1994, it's gone. 1992 is when, is when uh, the landing report came out. And the landing report was an investigation. Let me just see here. I, I thought I had the whole thing. The landing report was an investigation into the allegations of ritual abuse. This was a government... Um, sanctioned report, um, paid for report. I, you know what? I guess I don't have the link there. There it is. So this is the landing report, National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime. So this is a federal government report, U.S. Department of Justice in 1992. So this is one year before Clinton took office. Uh, 92 was the election, 93 he took office. So, um, so this is the end cap of, of, of the, um, so in, investigators guide to the allegations of ritual child abuse. And this completely, totally, um, behavioral sciences unit, National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime, Federal Bureau Investigations. This is the FBI report on the whole thing and a completely, totally blum, didn't happen, completely fake. Right, in you know, stranger danger, uh, you know, it, it encompassed everything that had been going on for that ten years, and it just called it out and destroyed it. So, what happened to all those people that were that were driving this thing? They went after big tobacco. It was obviously the entire big tobacco witch hunt. Which, rightly so. I mean, big tobacco is big tobacco, whatever, you know. But all of those people were from the satanic ritual abuse infrastructure. It was all about believing the children. It was all about the innocence of the children. It was all about protecting the children. All the way up to 1992, what happened? Was there some whole other group of people that all thought that same way? 
that didn't believe in the satanic abuse scandal, that didn't weren't a part of the media infrastructure, that weren't working in the media, right? No, really? No, it's the same people. The tobacco, the war on tobacco started, cut its teeth, built its infrastructure on the satanic abuse witch hunt. Timing is right here. So what did they do in 1993? They went and worked for the Clinton administration. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was the same media. I mean, come on. I mean, oh my God. So, all right. So that is, that's definitely one for uh, some people to, uh, to, uh, to take and uh, clip. Oh my God, I'm going to definitely get kicked off of YouTube now. So let me just, uh, this last thing on this, because it's just really good. And that's, uh, so part of the infrastructure that got built, uh, there was all these advocacy organizations. Well, this advocacy organization, this one is Believe the Children, was an advocacy organization formed by the parents involved in the McMartin preschool trial to promote the idea that allegations of satanic ritual abuse were factual and not a moral panic, as is believed by most scholars. The organization's name was based on the slogan that the children, who were the primary sources of information about the alleged abuse, no physical evidence or corroboration was found in the allegations, should be believed without question. So that, that's it. That the Believe the Children organization of parents, his whole goal was to shove down the throat of everybody else that the alleged abuse should be believed without question. The organization became a clearinghouse for information about ritual abuse from the mid-1980s to the late 1990s. So that means it be, when it becomes a clearinghouse, see, you can trust Wikipedia here. Because when it's talking about something that's on uh, their side, it's on, you know, because it's a progressive thing. It's a progressive right and left thing. It's progressive, uh, puritanical. It's definitely got its evangelical Christian parts to it, no doubt, right? So does the vaping scare. So anyhow, so it comes right down to the top organization that was involved as the clearinghouse for the information about all of the ritual abuses, which means that it was the place that all of the mainstream media was going for its fact-checking, for not even fact-checking, just to get whatever facts it was going to use, as the media was telling people over and over again that 50,000 kids were getting abducted every year for satanic ritual purposes and 4,000 of them murdered. Unbelievable. When the Los Angeles Times shows in 1985 that in 1984 that number was really 67. We hear, I mean, we know this. We have this all the time. Us that watch the vaping issue. Us that advocate. Us that report on this issue. All right, guys, so uh, that's it. That's your Halloween scare for uh, the evening is there's your introduction to the satanic ritual abuse scare and the horrible realization that the entire tobacco control infrastructure was built on this infrastructure. That, that my friends, does not bode, bode well for the future. So I, I leave it to all of you 
that are will be back on the air next week. We've got Tristan and Matt Cully coming on uh, to do a little bit of a pre-DC uh, rally show. I'm going to be looking for one or two people, uh, three at the most, but I'd like two if possible, that are going to uh, the event in DC that I could connect with beforehand because what I'd love to do is turn you into a little correspondent um, because we'll do go live at some point during that day so we can carry some coverage of what's going on there uh, for our viewers, obviously, that can't make it. So, um, yeah, need a couple of correspondent people that got some cell phones and maybe, you know, maybe a holdy thing or something like that uh, and uh, can do a little bit of talking and uh, show, you know, some live stuff around and stuff. Um, and I think that will work out well. Uh, just connect over Skype and uh, over the mobile Skype app and we'll just pipe you in. And well, you know, I'll probably take as, as many as I can get actually, you know, so we'll figure out a way to make that, uh, that connection happen. Um, yeah, and then so I'm screwed on Facebook right now. So after today, uh, I've got a, I'm just gonna take a couple of days off. Um, I've got, I've got uh, some time with the family out, out at the farm I'm gonna spend and, uh, and channel my inner uh, U.S. conservative uh, uh, pro-firearms kind of a position and, and spend some time taking my frustrations out on a, on a target. Uh, one that's a regular target, not looking like anybody. I can assure you that. And um, so it's probably going to be Wednesday. Uh, we planned on Tuesday to do our pre-rally uh, pre show, but my Facebook ban uh, for our RegWatch account is not going to lift until Tuesday night. So I got to tell you guys, in the in, we launched our fundraiser for RegWatch uh, four weeks ago. Three of those weeks have been under a Facebook ban, <laughs> under the full Facebook ban. Uh, and we only just got back up with our corporate account. And literally, I got our supporters Facebook group up on Monday night. And then Tuesday, I got hit with the ban. So, you know, we're hit by the same revenue thing as everybody else. And then Facebook just keeps breaking our legs. So if you get a chance, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. It doesn't take a lot. If you're an American, your dollars go way farther than our Canadian dollars do. So we'll take those greenbacks all day long. Uh, One-time donations and greenbacks are fine, man. You know, people have been like drop, dropping in good dollars, you know, 100 bucks here, that kind of thing, 250 there, and that adds up. Uh, the monthly donations have been fantastic. Those are critical for us too because it allows us to know that there's money coming in. Um, and uh, I'll update our uh, fundraising numbers uh, as soon as I can, uh, soon actually. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to merge the Canadian and U.S. ones. I, I didn't want to do that right away because some are U.S. dollars, some are Canadian. And which one do I, I put it in? I don't know. I guess maybe I'll put it in Canadian. Um, yeah, I guess I'll put it in Canadian. So, but we're, we're about 2200 bucks a month right now, I think is our monthly, which, okay. I mean, that, that pays the rent on the studio and, and some of the bills. So that's good, but nothing else. Um, so we're, we're working now for, um, the rest, but that's, I want to thank you all for that. That is fantastic. And then of course, you know, the one-time donations that have come in, um, are the only reason why we're still on the air, uh, for sure in October. So, um, whatever you can do, that'd be great. 
So that's, that's it, folks. Um, I, let me just see here if there's anything, a question I need to answer. I never do so, take questions. So isn't it ironic to you think you're, you're still blocked on FB, Brent? Yes, the band's stinky. Why was Brent banned is a question. Um, is over the CDC coverage. Um, so the first, there's a bunch of things that go on that uh, all connect to make a band. And look, one of the things is that you never know. That's the thing about Facebook, right? And I would imagine about most social media, though I do think that YouTube um, provides a little bit more feedback for you as it's cutting off your arms and legs. But, you know, look, hey, I'm on Facebook. You know, we've built our business on Facebook. That's why this is so bad. It's one of the reasons why I'm so upset is because um, the RegWatch news page, our, our page, we're registered news. I mean, we're a Facebook news page. Personally, myself, I've been on for 12 years. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm in news media. So five of those years, um, on as a, as a political correspondent for the largest newspaper chain in Canada. And, you know, I would get lots of people all the time because it was opinion, uh, you know, barking about, you know, transgender columns that I had written or things about Islam or whatever, right. Uh, you know, the standard fare that you can imagine that I'd be writing from the center right, uh, position. And, you know, I'd get flamed and people would, you know, you know, report me and this and that. Not much of a problem. I mean, a couple of times a little bit, but vaping is where all the problems have been. In the four years, it's only ever been on vaping pieces. And um, so they got, I wrote this lead three weeks ago uh, to the Dr. Siegel's episode where he was coming on. I titled it uh, CDC Deception. And... I basically, you know, outright said in the lead uh, that, you know, the CD, you know, the, the CDC has blood on its hands uh, for, you know, I framed it a bit of as a question, but not really. I mean, I, it was a hot lead. And so, I mean, basically, I mean, there's all these deaths that have happened since uh, the vast majority of people knew that it was THC. Uh, from September 6th, basically. So any anybody from September 6th on that died could have been prevented, arguably, if the CDC had been just straight up and that this is THC products. And it was already by the 13th that the FDA was already saying, well, yes, you know, we gotta we gotta back off on this nicotine only thing here and really hammer home the THC kind of thing. So they it, the FDA insulated themselves, CDC didn't. So anyhow, this lead that I wrote was full on, I went after CDC. So within that, uh, the language in that definitely could be uh, a major problem for Facebook, breaking its community standards, but you don't know what they are, right? Um, and uh, obviously the ants, the opponents to vaping are monitoring what we're all doing uh, in terms of our coverage on this issue. So uh, they had because I on, on major ones where stuff like that, I mean, the CDC and FDA and Truth Initiative were all included in the Facebook and Twitter posts <laughs> for the promotion for that. So when I, when I do do major pieces that are going after or fully involving, you know, going after what the regulator is doing, I make sure that they see uh, the stuff, uh, even in the promotion. So there's no doubt that uh, somebody also flagged reports 
uh, on that piece. So a bunch of things going around and that got me completely disabled, just kicked off Facebook for uh, 20 minutes before we were supposed to go live on the episode. That was for sure, cut me off, pulled the plug so it couldn't go live. And then three weeks later, we did another CDC piece. I had no idea or expectation that I was going to get a, a ban this week. Um, but, you know, the lead was kind of hot. I guess it was, you know. Uh, the lead had said silent scandal. Uh, should CDC concede its role in the deaths of vapors? <laughs> so while that's a totally hot but fine lead uh, to use in mainstream media, which is the only thing I was thinking, but I was just applying my my standard publishing mainstream news media uh, thing. I wasn't thinking uh, social media and the sensitivities there. So that lead right there uh, is probably why I got the ban. So it's a seven day, be finished up. Okay. All right, guys. Well, it looks like uh, some people are playing and having fun there. Uh, and there's only a, a, a couple of people left. I want to thank you all for tuning in and enjoying, uh, hopefully, this uh, little bit of a Halloween scare. Uh, and take some of the things that we talked about and uh, run with them. That would be my advice. So uh, please go to uh, support.regulatedwatch.com and dig in there and find a few dollars. And before you head off, also go to Facebook and like us. And if you aren't already connected to Regulator Watch Canada, do a search and friend them. And uh, if you want to join the supporters group for RegWatch, uh, that's also at facebook.com forward slash RegWatch supporters. And one of the admins there will get you in. So that's it for this edition of RegWatch. And uh, hope you have a good one. And vape them if you got them.